It's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. Kurt, this is a very special episode of Smart Dribble. All of our episodes are special, but this one is a bit of first among equals. Because, Kurt, today is your birthday. Happy birthday, Kurt. Thank you, John. I'm finally your age. It's very depressing. Yeah, for longtime listeners of the podcast, I am exactly four months older than Kurt. So for four months a year, Kurt is is younger than I am. Yeah, you're actually four months younger the whole time, but Kurt insists on saying that he's one year younger. But my my one third of the year having to tolerate that is now over because Kurt and I are the same age. I am not very good at singing, so I'm going to dispense with a rendition of Happy Birthday. Instead, I will say that it's your birthday, Kurt. Happy birthday. I am not green with envy. In fact, I am tickled pink, and that is no white lie. I am sharing my true colors, so let's cut through the red tape and get this episode started. Do wow. you get it? I do get it. Well done there, John. So You want to re- recap for you? Yeah, Green sure. Green with envy, tickled pink, no white lie, true colors, red tape. What do those things have in common, birthday boy? Colors, John, which is our episode this week. First of all, thank you for the birthday wishes. Thank you for the wonderful amalgamation of phrases with colors in them. The raison d'etre for this episode comes from a week or so ago. I was sitting in the eye doctor's office in New York City, and it was packed. There was an old man next to me who kept speaking on the speakerphone, and it kept upsetting the receptionist. So I looked up at the receptionist and behind they had a TV screen with different things in history about eyes, ophthalmologists, glasses, because it's an eye doctor. And all of a sudden it said the expression green with envy. I thought you were going to say rose colored glasses for the eye doctor. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I'll get to that in a second. The first one was green with envy, which is what you brought up. Now, the history they told me in the eye doctor's office, not sure if it's true or not, but that hasn't stopped you and me from loving a good story, is that the Emperor Nero, he of the fiddle, John, Emperor Nero goes to the Colosseum to see the gladiators and the lions and feeding Christians, etc. And he wears glasses that he had specially made for him that were filled with emeralds everywhere. And so everyone around him was green with envy that he was seeing green and they couldn't. That's where we get green with envy from the Emperor Nero, he who fiddled while Rome burnt because of him and his fancy emerald glasses. I hadn't heard the Nero story, but I did read that the origin of the idiom, which is a great word because it sounds like you're about to call somebody something insulting, but then you go all highfalutin on them. So what are you, an the, idiot? Yeah. You are the world's biggest idiom. <laughs> and then anyway, so many others who are not in the Nero camp believe that the term comes directly from William Shakespeare. Apparently in Othello, you'll remember Iago the villain yeah so lago uh, lago (laughs) yep lago i believe that means lake in italy but i'm gonna go with iago instead he warned othello quote 
beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. So that's the first time it appears in print. And for that reason, people tend to, some people, attribute it to Willie Shakespeare. We were going to do an episode on all the phrases and expressions and words that William Shakespeare made up and put into our language. Let's do that. Okay. The second most was probably Dr. Seuss, but Shakespeare put more words into the language than any other person alive. He's not alive. Any other person who ever lived. Is that a documented thing or is that sort of just feels that way based on the voluminous contribution he made to our language? Documented. Though, if you really wanted to be um, conspiracy theory, you might say it was Christopher Marlowe and not Shakespeare because some people think Shakespeare didn't exist. Now, if I were to tell you that, you might say I'm giving you a white lie. Ooh, ooh, a white lie. Let's define that. Not that our listeners don't know that, but just in case. So a white lie is something that is not true. It's a lie, but it really doesn't hurt anybody. And it's done to really preserve someone else's feelings. So it's a bit of a victimless crime. In fact, it prevents someone from feeling bad. So, you know, it's more okay than the other kind. Is that your definition? Yes. And it gets back to the fact that colors all mean something, right? You just mentioned green with jealousy or envy. White, as we know from 1937 animated film by Walt Disney, Snow White, pure is the driven snow and white. White is innocence incarnate. It's purity. And so a white lie is one that's innocent. It's got some purity to it. It's not the black lie, which is also the black sheep of the family. Or the black plague or the black market or, oh, there's a lot of them. Uh, a black belt, but that probably has a different origin. That's a good thing. So what's interesting is that some of these idioms are literal, you know, like white collar and blue collar. I think factory workers wore blue collar shirts and people who worked in an office wear white collar shirts. So some are literal. That's literal, John. That would be an example of the literal current. By Excellent. the way, just a quick aside on that. Apparently now... A definition of literal is figurative, which drives me crazy. Don't you hate when people say, my head literally exploded? No, it didn't. If it did, you wouldn't be able to talk. So while that does bug me, it, it does answer a question that you and I have posed to each other many times, which is how does a word over time completely flip-flop its meaning? Because we've talked about examples of words. Of course, none are available to my brain right now. But where words have over, you know, if you're looking at the Oxford English Dictionary, a word over the course of centuries goes from meaning one one thing to meaning its opposite. Perhaps this is a little bit of an example of how that happens. Now, so I mentioned that some of them are literal, and then you got me off on this whole literal figurative thing. But, and of course, some colors, as you mentioned, white indicates purity, and some of them are cultural. What's interesting is that in our culture in the U.S., we wear black when someone dies. It's the color of death. And respect. In, in China, white is what people wear. You would get things screwed up that way. The first time I was in Beijing, because it's a different place than you and I grew up with, grew up in, I was visiting Tiananmen Square. And my host, recognizing two things, one that the party is always listening, 
And two, I may have an above average tendency to say things I shouldn't say. I just triggered Siri. She's very interested in being a part of our episode, apparently. Our first guest, Siri, has joined the podcast. In any event, my host pulled me aside and said, in America, you have freedom of speech. In China, we have responsibility of speech. Yeah. So careful what Keep you're your saying. your mouth shut. But just be you know careful which what you're one, saying. You know which phrase, and we've talked about this on a previous episode, but it's a bit of repeating because of what you just said. This one, I think, started off as literal and now has become apocryphal or figurative. Blue blood. Okay. Right? So blue bloods, or the expression is, oh, you're a blue blood, meaning you've been around forever. You're the aristocracy, you're wealthy. The blue bloods are the people who are like the Vanderbilts and all these people in New York City that have been around and this and that. But it literally comes from the aristocracy, I believe, in Spain and England and France, by the way, because they did all this intermarriage and there were some defect, birth defects that came out of it. One of those, they were so pale that you could, and their thin was so, their skin was so thin, you could actually see the veins much clearer. And it looked like there was complete blue in their translucent white skin. And blue blood set was a negative because of inbreeding became a positive of aristocracy. And now, has become this just idea of you are rich in this and that, or of the elite. Related to that, I assume the term sil born with a silver spoon in your mouth, um, although that might be less a color and more of a material, but silver is also a color. I, I assume that's also just a reflection of the wealth. Of... Yes. Okay. I'll give you another one that's literal. But I'm ready. What's fun about these expressions is that they were literal once upon a time, but the reasons that made them literal are lost to our modern use of the language. So hundreds of years ago, I opened up by using the term red tape and bureaucracy, you know, government. It takes forever. God, and we, we can't we cut through all this red tape. Yeah. But if you go back to England centuries ago, lexicographers, Ooh. not an easy word to say, believe. So this is not for sure. But then again, what is for sure? So the term red tape death and taxes refers to a ribbon that was used to bind or tie up legal documents in England. So you literally had to cut through the red tape to get at the stack of legal documents. Love that. You said something a moment ago that you said, we mentioned this in a previous podcast. And I just want to point out that you don't need to say that because this is our 176th episode, Kurt. We have said everything there is there ever is to say to one another okay. in a previous podcast. It's implied when we open our mouths. So I'm going to bring you back to the year 1837. Hang on, I want to get into the Wayback Machine. 1837? Yeah. You're in the town of Melton Mowbray. Melton Where's Mowbray? M-O-W-B-R-A-Y. -M it's in the country in England. Ah, okay. You're in this small town. And I was born in a small town. You happened to wake up in the middle of the night because you couldn't sleep well and you heard noise. And you went outside and you saw this guy who happened to be the Marquis of Waterford. But you know who he was known as? The Mad Marquis. He had had too much to drink. He and his band of whatevers decided to raise some havoc in your town. They happened to get some red paint 
They painted the toll bar. They painted houses. In fact, John, they painted the town red. Oh, wow. That's a good one. That's a good one. They literally painted the town red. Who would have thought that was literal? When you have a band of, I think you're limited to merry men or hooligans. That's it. A band of, or a band of brothers. Right. A band of brothers, a band of hooligans, a band of merry men. Where does the expression come from, a band of brothers? I don't know, but it's not a color. So we have no editorial obligation to answer that question within the confines of this here episode. That being said, I think it's got to come from the war. What war? The big one. WW1, WW2. Hundred Years War, France and England. And And why why was that the whole expression? And could you work in a color, please? Battle of Agincourt, which we've talked about, but we've talked about everything. Battle of Agincourt, Henry V is sitting there, totally outnumbered his guys. The French are so much stronger, they got nothing left. And he starts talking about St. Crispin's Feast, how it's the speech of St. Crispin's Feast, and it's the night before this battle. And how in years from now, we're going to be remembered, those of us who fought us, band of brothers. Wow. That's like your favorite war and your favorite battle ever, the Battle of Agincourt. (laughs) If the Battle of Agincourt were to be an advertiser, which I don't think they do much advertising for that war, we we would have a sponsorship and it would be considered the official war, the official battle, rather, of the Smart Drivel podcast. It's working its way into different episodes because it had so much, there's so many layers there. It's like the Bayou Tapestry, which is in Bayou, France, obviously, which talks about the Norman invasion. 1066. William of Orange, William the Conqueror. Yeah. Bayou Tapestry. Thank you very much. A lot of colors in the tapestry. Roll out the red carpet. I'd rather be, I'd rather be wrapped in a red carpet. So do you know where that one comes from? Because of course it refers to red. Yes. It happened to be because in Macbeth, when they killed Duncan, they hid his body in a carpet. And when Duncan's son came to look for him, he rolled out the carpet, but all the blood from Duncan had gotten into it and it became red. I think what's nice about that story, Kurt, is that most of our listeners know you've made that up. <laughs> I think any experienced listeners or the pod, lis, listener of the podcast would know that that was made up. But that does remind me, there was a horrific, famous murder near us, I don't know, it was 30, 40 years ago famous wood chipper murder where a, I think it was an Eastern airlines pilot, unfortunately killed his wife who was a flight attendant and he bludgeoned her and he rolled her up in the carpet. And the investigators did want to know why he had recently replaced the carpet in their bedroom right after his wife had gone missing. And that was one of many clues that he was the perpetrator. So let me tell you about roll out the red carpet, Kurt, because as oh, yeah. As it turns out, your explanation was not correct, but red dye back in the day Mm. was very expensive. Yeah. So you had to have a lot of loot to be able to afford red clothing or red carpets. Yes. If you go back, you're familiar with the Greek play Agamemnon. Yes. He was the king who had gone off to fight in the Trojan War. Against Ajax. And... The soccer team? No. I think it's pronounced Ajax. A-J-A-X, yes. Okay, that must be a different one. 
Anyway, he was gone for 10 years because that's how long the Trojan War took. Of course, it took Odysseus a little longer to get home because he had to endure an odyssey. I think we know where the term odyssey comes from. Yeah, Honda. Oh, anyway, he came home and his queen, Clytemnestra, was waiting for him, lying in wait with her new bow, and they killed him. But By the way, that's where we important. get the STD from. Okay, Clytemnestra. Okay, it took me a moment to sort of... Anyway, the story is not that simple because the story is never that simple. Agamemnon had done some bad stuff before he left, so you could take the position that Clytemnestra was justified. justified. That has nothing to do with the term red carpet. But I wanted to tell you that when Agamemnon returned home, the victorious war, uh, warrior, red tapestries were rolled out because, again, it was an indication wow. of rich. But it's more expensive is what you're saying. Yeah, he basically had to have a lot of bucks to have red stuff. So that rolling out the red carpet was, and of course, you mentioned one in your fake story about Macbeth. Yeah. Where there was a lot of blood and all that kind of stuff. And that's where the term red-handed came from. If you go back to Scotland in the 1400, it referred to criminals who had blood, literally, this is another literal one, had blood on their hands. So they were caught red-handed. How about so that? I, I think you're making a decent point. And if this were a high school English paper, we'd probably get an A because we keep bringing it back to the point, which is it started literal and became figurative. So what about the expression, show us your true colors? Not just one, but all of them. Yeah. So I, I use that in my birthday opening for you. I was showing my true colors, not exactly. telling a wide lie. So what does show your true colors mean? It means you're really, you're revealing who you, who you actually are, who you really are. And that was literal because like a lot of our expressions that we've given people the uh, answers to over time, like your great one from the first time we did expressions, freezing the balls off a brass monkey and son, of a, and son of a gun and turn a blind eye. All these come from the British Navy nautical, right? Yeah. So this one too comes from that because if you were a, in a battle, a lot of times we're about to be in a sea battle, you wouldn't put your flags up because you want to get in and have some either surprise or whatever. Though, if you are proud of what you've done, you put your flag up and you put your, not only your ship, but the country you're sailing for, and you show your true colors. What were the true colors of the true ship Lollipop? It was a good ship, Lollipop. And what was her name? Shirley Temple. All I remember was Shirley Temple was in it. That's all I got for you. But true colors, you're revealing who you're, you're revealing your actual identity in a military context, which makes sense, which also relates to, although not a color, a false flag, because you might, even though it was uncool by naval wartime standards, Back then you might fly a flag that was not your true colors, and that could lead to all sorts of mayhem. You know what I read the other day, speaking about that? Mm. John Paul Jones, it was, uh, this was a, this day in history. You know who he was, correct? Yes, he made a lot of money on Wall Street. No, no. That's John, that's Tudor Jones? Yes. Paul he Tudor was Jones? the guy during the American Revolution who basically ran our Navy. He was a right. Scot. And he was fighting over in England and Scotland a lot. His whole idea was he was going to go and wreak havoc along the shore 
and destroy the British Navy wherever he could. And he was in the very famous battle. The Monitor and the Merrimack. No, where he sat there and he was getting destroyed. He was in the Bonham Richard, was the name of his boat. And he was sinking. And the British admiral said, give up. And what did he say? I will never raise a white flag. I have not yet begun to fight. And but you see, is, I, wor I worked in a color in my answer. I'm going to. As okay. he was sinking, he did not wave his white flag. And then he took over and destroyed and beat the British general and took his ship, rechristened it like the Ben Franklin or something. Maybe that, maybe he rechristened it Barnum Richard and then became the head of our Navy and did recap it, John Paul Jones. You know, that? he was never caught red-handed. And the guy, he was not even a blue blood, but he was able to do that. And once in a blue moon, a guy like him comes around, John. Did he have his black belt in naval warfare? But I, I see you just mentioned blue moon. Do you want to, uh, let me roll out the red carpet so you can walk down it and tell us about blue moon. Well, I believe there's a bunch of different reasons for it, but the blue latest moon. one we have is that it's the rare occasion when a month has two full moons in it, and the second full moon is called the blue moon. It does not happen that often, and it actually looks a little bluish. Funny, you don't look bluish. I don't feel bluish either. Okay, you don't look bluish. Would you like another literal one as we near the home stretch on this yes. episode? Yes. So... When did King Edward I of England reign? In the 11th, 10th century. Well, let me ask you this. When you are King Edward I, and there's no guarantee there'll be a second, do you carry around the first, or are you just known as King Edward, and once there's a second, you become the first? I think that's what it is. Or if you were the only one, are you still? Yeah, it's like the popes. Right, so... Back when King Edward was on the throne, he was known as King Edward, not King Edward I, unless he was looking at the world through hopeful rose-colored glasses, knowing, knowing that he would have an heir or and or a namesake at some point. So <clears throat> King Edward uh, of England would award a prize to the servant who could shell the peas fastest, open up the pod and yeah. liberate the peas. And the winner would be completely stained by the green of the pea pods. And they had a green thumb. Now, it's also true in America, if you're pinching the flowers out of a tobacco plant in the fields, you'd also get green thumb. So it literally came from the fact that you were handling a lot of green foliage, your, little, your fingers turned green. You had a green thumb. So I guess they ate a lot of peas. They probably ate the uh, British peas, you know, the smushy peas. Oh, I think, like they're called, I think they're called mushy peas. Yeah. Do you like the mushy peas? I don't really, I don't think mush is necessarily a word that I find appetizing. I like mashed potatoes, but if they were called mushy potatoes, I don't know if I would have the same level of enthusiasm for them, Kurt. I had, my brother and I would make mush when we were kids. We'd take graham crackers, put sugar on them, put them in milk and mush it up, and then we'd eat it. We called it mush. It wasn't that good, but we liked it. All right. So give me one more, Kurt. One more for your birthday 
Or I'm done, what, John. because it's your birthday, I will give you one more. So Thank you just you. you just rest, lean back, and prepare just to respond with whatever comes to your mind. This is something you and I have both experienced. In fact, every time I experience it, I say, I will never do that again. And then I forget and I decide I'll do it again. And I am, of course, referring to the red eye flight, an overnight flight, oftentimes from New York to Europe or from the West Coast of the U.S. back to New York. So I just decided to not take the red eye back from Los Angeles this Thursday and instead waste the whole day Friday to fly only because I don't want to take the red eye. Yeah. It's just when you're out there and you're just sort of ready to come home and you're like, you know what? You lie to yourself and you'll say you'll sleep on the flight and tell you to take a nap when you get back. I find myself eager to get home. Oftentimes I'm willing to endure the red eye. And when you're flying from California to New York, it's a lot faster than the other way. I mean, your flying time is probably under five hours, so you can't possibly get a good night's sleep. In any event, when you take the red eye, and you have deprived yourself of a proper night's sleep, you may very well have red eyes. So another literal one, which we don't think, I mean, that's that's a more modern one. So I think most people could connect the dots on that one, but there's no way we could connect the dots to something that happened years ago, like cutting the red tape. Actually, John. Yes. Vlad the Impaler, who was Your favorite Dracula guy. Yes had a condition where out of his eyes, when he cried, his tears were blood. So that was red eye. So is that a literal condition or are you being? It's a literal condition. I've never heard of anybody crying red tears. Look it up. Vlad the Impaler had this and that helped the whole, you know, scary thing about him besides putting people naked on poles that were sharpened and letting gravity do the work. Yeah, All right, I we're done think... with this because I don't want to be black and blue, John. Which actually goes back to like the 1300s or something. And it's not really clear exactly where it came from, but it's been around for almost a millennium. I hope you enjoy the rest of your birthday in any way that you want to. And on behalf of all of our listeners, happy birthday, Kurt. Thank you, John. And listeners, we'll be back next week with another episode of Smart Dribble. Until then, we hope your weeks are filled with lots of smart and a little dribble. Or even the other way around, like ours. All right, goodbye, everybody. 